Hey, what's up? Welcome to another episode of Locked on Raptors. And on today's show, it's a Raptors off day. And what do we like to do on off days? We like to talk with people who are smarter than me about the Toronto Raptors. And so today, we are joined by one of my favorite basketball writers in the whole wide world. It is Joe Wolfon from The Score. And we are going to dig into a whole bunch of stuff related to the big picture stuff around the Raptors. The joy that has been watching this season so far. Perhaps Torment. We'll talk about that. OG Ananobi and his development and a whole bunch of other stuff, uh, including a piece that he wrote over the weekend about how the Raptors are gaming the possession game in their favor, although it has not quite worked out to winning results just yet. That's all coming up on today's episode of Locked on Raptors, so stick around. Oh, because like, when I shot, I expected to make it, so like, I don't shoot kind of miss. You are Locked on Raptors, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey, what's going on? Welcome to episode number 1059 of Locked On Raptors for Wednesday, November the 17th. I'm your host, Sean Woodley of RaptorsHQ.com. You can find me on always at Woodley Sean. You can find the show at Locked On Raptors. And of course, you can find the podcast free and available on all of your favorite podcast platforms. You can follow, subscribe, tell a friend, and you can subscribe on YouTube as well, which is very much appreciated. And thank you for making us your first listen of the day. Today's show is also brought to you by Calm. For a limited time, our listeners can join LeBron James in using Calm and get a 40% discount off a premium subscription. Go to Calm, C A L M.com slash locked NBA. More on them. A little bit later on. All right, let's get to it on today's show. It is an off day, and we like to take off days to talk to people who are very smart about basketball, about the Toronto Raptors. And joining me now is uh, your favorite basketball podcaster's favorite basketball podcaster. It is Joe Wolfond from The Score and the wonderful Pound the Rock podcast, regular guest of the show, Joey W. How are you, man? I'm doing well, man. Thank you for that intro. Thanks for having me on. Always a pleasure. Good to see you. Doing, doing always, great. Always a pleasure to see you, man. And uh, I got to say, you probably lead the like the world in uh, like nice podcast intros. Whenever I tune into a show that you're on, people are introducing you with glowing uh, praise because you deserve it. You're wonderful. And we're going to talk about some of your great work on today's show. Uh, you wrote a piece about the Raptors and the way they're kind of gaming the possession game and trying to skew the sort of flow of games in their favor to overcompensate or to compensate, that is, for the fact that their offense ain't so hot. And uh, we're going to talk about that a little bit on today's show. We're going to talk about some big picture stuff. OG Ananobi will take a look ahead to the Jazz as well. But I kind of want to start here, Joe. You know, this has been, you know, 15 games of a pretty entertaining team. They're seven and eight. I think you could say a few of those games could have gone the other way or whatever. Like, that, I don't think it's been terribly against expectation, but... I've been finding myself really enjoying this team and like enjoying talking and thinking about it. I'm kind of curious for you, like you're someone who covers the entire league. You dig into all these teams. It might just be that, you know, I am kind of in the Raptors bubble and find them to be particularly interesting. But do you find this Raptors team is like kind of fun and cool to talk about, even if the results maybe haven't worked out so well in the last couple of weeks here? No, I definitely do. And I mean, that's why I want to write that piece and dig into some of the stuff that they're doing just because I I do really find it super interesting, hmm. um, you know, for, for a few reasons. I mean, one, just not, 
I couldn't really find any other teams that are doing it, at least not to nearly the same extent. Um, mm. And and doing it intentionally, like you might find a team that is winning the possession battle because you know their personnel is such that they happen to be a really good offensive rebounding team, or they happen to force a ton of turnovers. But you know, Nick Nurse has talked openly about how the Raptors have like a benchmark of of a possession differential that they want to get to, how. Mm their analytics tell them that if they get to that number that dramatically increases their chances of winning and so as a deliberate strategy you know to overcome what are some pretty clear limitations i just think that's a really fascinating experiment Mm -hmm. and i think you know there are just generally like a lot of fun likable players on this team it's it's you know as far as teams that are in this kind of development phase where it's a little bit in between. Obviously, they're a young team, but their mm-hmm. core, you know, three of those four guys are veteran players. Like, they're younger mm-hmm. veterans. They're all, you know, Fred and Pascal are 27. OG is 24. So, obviously, they're still, you know, very much in their primes or haven't even hit their primes yet. But right, it's, it's not like they're a team that is doing this ground-up rebuild, right? Like, mm-hmm. they have what could be a future superstar potentially that they just took fourth overall in the draft. And we'll see, you know, the extent to which they cater their next moves and their rebuild to that specific player. But for now it's, you know, very much a team that's kind of like building on two tracks and I guess trying to see what it has with the group of players currently on the roster and whether that can work long-term. And mm-hmm. I think that makes it really fascinating because, you know, uh, for for any team i think you're always like certain teams are always going to be focused on different timelines right and you can be a win now team that is trying to win a championship now or you can be a win now team that is just okay these are the players we have and we're going to just be you know try and be as good as we like we possibly you know i'm thinking of like you know the indiana pacers for just to like pull one name classic wolfond <laughs> or like you know what the bulls okay like the sure the, sure. the bulls the bulls are a win now team I, yeah. I don't think that the bulls have championship upside as well as they have played to start this season but they're very much focused on winning in the present um sure. they have shelled out a lot of draft capital they've shelled out a lot of money um, clearly their focus is on winning as many games as they can in the present. There are other teams that are very much focused entirely on the future, like, you know, OKC, for instance. And mm-hmm. then there are teams like the Raptors that are kind of in the middle where they mm-hmm. would like to be competitive now, but, you know, it's more of a long-term vision. But what happens now still very much matters uh, as far as how things are going to go in the future. So that's what fascinates me about them. And then obviously the, the specific way that they're going about it um, makes it that much more interesting. And I guess my feeling about that is, okay. Um, yeah. A lot of this is experimental. Mm-hmm. A lot of it is very fun. It's interesting. It's super frustrating at times, <laughs> you know, how much of what they're doing now is going to be part of their identity. How much of it is going to be, uh, you know, what they're doing three, four, five years from now when, sure, you know, they're they're ideally, you know, trying to contend, competing for championships again. Like that's, that's I guess, the big question that I have right now because as as exciting, as fun, as unique as their team building project is right now, 
sustainability, I, de- I definitely feel like it's a question that I have um, as far as their style of play and just the style of team that they've built. Yeah, I mean, it's so interesting because it's kind of uncharted waters in a lot of ways, right? Like we've never really seen a team go all in like this on such a specific style of play and sort of, you know, hoarding a specific collection of similarly shaped players who have similar limitations and all of that. And yeah, I I guess it is sort of a, a question of, is this the philosophy they've adopted because they have to, because they don't have, you know, a traditional guy who can build like a standard, you know, pick and roll heavy, you know, play like everybody else and, you know, just do it better than everybody else type of team. Or is it actually just like the way the front office views basketball is headed? And do they think like, oh no, this is what teams are going to be successful with in the next three, four years. And, you know, I, I do wonder how like Scotty Barnes plays into all of that. And, you know, did they draft him sort of thinking he'd be one thing and then all of a sudden he's maybe more than we thought he might be? And does that change the course at all? As far as like the unsustainable elements of it, I'm curious, like what you think are the things that kind of give you a little bit of pause? What are the red flags for you in terms of unsustainability that this team has kind of been leaning on so far this season? I think, you know, playing without a traditional rim protector, just, mm-hmm. you know, the the struggles that they've had at the center position. And again, that, that goes to what you were saying about you know, are, are they playing the way that they're playing because it's what they have to do right now? You know, big picture, they very well may see this team having like a traditional hulking bruiser in the middle. That may mm-hmm. be part of their plans and they just haven't found the right guy to fill that role yet. And they're kind of treading water or they're finding band-aids in the meantime. So mm-hmm. sending, you, you know, never, assistant coaches into certain Midwestern towns to uh, potentially collapse teams from inside to let uh, big men become free for trade. Huh? Mm. I didn't say that. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, <laughs> hell, that would be, that'd be a hell of a nice fit. Uh, if, uh, if I'm reading, uh, if I'm reading that correctly, <laughs> your suggestion, yeah. but um, it rhymes with Schmarl, Schmanthony, Schmounds or something along those lines, but back to yeah. what you were saying. <laughs> um, I, I just, yeah, I don't know how sustainable that is. Um, mm-hmm. I think we've, We've already seen, I mean, really in the last two years, we've seen a lot of the drawbacks of that, of just being as weak as they've been at the center position, of having to rely on small ball lineups that can be effective in certain matchups mm-hmm. and can be you know, effective for certain periods of time. But just over the long haul, it's like the concessions that that forces you to make I think become untenable at a certain point. And it's at both ends of the floor. Like, I think we've really mm-hmm. seen that at the defensive end. Like I came into this season thinking that the Raptors were going to be a no doubt top 10 defense right now. They're 19th in the league. Yeah. Like they're, they're top 10 in offense right now. And, and I would have thought that at this point in the season, if they were top 10 in offense, that they would be a solidly above 500 team. And they're not because their yeah. defense has been a mess. Um, and that's, you know, generally I, I do wonder, okay, if they had, uh, a really solid rim protecting five in the middle, would that then allow them to play a bit more of a conservative defensive style? Like how much mm-hmm. of how they play defense is a product of, of lacking that traditional rim protection of having to send extra bodies um, mm-hmm. pull off from the corner, you know, just be as help conscious as they are digging from the strong side, doubling the post, all the things that they do. 
try and I guess make up for that that lack of size in the middle, like using their size and length on the wing and, and using their speed and all that stuff. Like it sounds great in theory, mm-hmm. but when especially when you're you're doing it with a young and inexperienced team like this, I just feel like that is bound to come with a lot of challenges. And a big part of the reason that I was excited uh, and and high on the prospect of what this defense could be this year was I I really did expect Nick to scale things back yeah. because of the inexperience of the team, because of like the the connectivity and communication that is required to pull that scheme off and be effective doing it. I just figured that was going to be too tough to do with this younger group, and that it was going to kind of have to change like by necessity, mm-hmm. and it hasn't. And I think we're really seeing the cracks right now. So. Again, that's that's something where with a certain lineup on the floor in a certain situation, playing a hyper aggressive style can absolutely be effective. Mm-hmm. If if the opposing team knows it's coming or if your team isn't like fully connected, if the communication isn't there, if um, it isn't like all five guys working in perfect harmony, then you're going to spring a lot of leaks. So that's that's another thing where I'm like, OK, is this like part of the plan? Like you want this team ultimately just to like get, get more familiar and get better playing this particular style. Or is this another stopgap? Yeah. Where you're just, you know, trying to figure out what works this season with, with the pieces that you have on hand. And then ideally, you know, moving towards a future where the roster is a bit better optimized and can, can play uh, maybe a little bit more of a conservative scheme. Like those, those are the questions that I really have and, and how much, like which thing is impacting the other, you know, yeah. is, is, yeah. is the, the style that they want to play impacting the roster decisions that they're making or are the roster decisions impacting the style that they're playing? And I don't really have an answer to that right now, but I do think all of that makes them super interesting now yeah, and looking towards the future. Yeah. It's a really interesting sort of philosophical thing. And, you know, I, I think it's not surprising that it's kind of been met with some resistance by, you know, people who are even dying in the world basketball heads like it's new, it's different, new and different usually gets sort of ostracized until it's proven to be awesome. And it remains to be seen yet if what the Raptors are doing will translate to awesome results. I do want to continue on and sort of talk about some of the interesting pieces on this team. I want to talk about OG Ananobi in particular, because I think he's really interesting in the whole sort of conversation here about now and in the future. We'll get to that in one second here, Joe. But first, I want to tell you about our friends over at Calm, who are really helping you uh, get through the night with a wonderful night of sleep. And uh, they're doing it through the help of LeBron James as well. He sleeps a lot. He sleeps well. And it's part of the reason why LeBron James is fine-tuned to the degree that he is and has really made it to this part this part of his career where he's like 37 and is now only now getting injured. It's because he's been sleeping like a baby his entire career. LeBron and Calm know that your body, that sorry, that know your mind is like any other muscle in your body, but you don't have to be a world champion to learn how to train it calm can help you train your brain so you sleep better reduce your stress and perform at your best just like king james for lebron sleep is a critical part of his mental fitness routine as he says quote getting good sleep and finding time is to rest to rest is one of the most valuable things i can do for my body and mind from the sound of the rain falling on leaves to bedtime sleep stories calm puts me to sleep within minutes which means i can wake up ready for any challenge unquote 
So if you head to calm.com slash locked in NBA for a limited time, you get 40% off of a calm premium subscription with calm. You have access to nature scenes. LeBron loves like those rain on leaves and so much more like sleep stories, meditation. So you can be ready for any challenges that life throws your way. Again, for a limited time, our listeners can join LeBron and using calm and get a 40% discount on a premium subscription at calm.com slash locked locked at NBA. That's calm.com slash locked at NBA. Unlock content to help you focus, ease stress, and sleep better. And I got to say, my fiance uses Calm as well and loves it. It's not just LeBron James. It's regular people, too. Get started at Calm.com slash LockedOnNBA. That is Calm.com slash LockedOnNBA. All right, continuing on here now with Joe Wolfon from The Score. Uh, I, I want to talk to you about OG Ananobi, uh, Joe. I have some numbers here I'd like to rattle off to you as the OG Ananobi experience has uh, kind of taken off this season to new heights. Of course, his scoring is up. He's had some explosive games. He was just lights out in the first half against the Blazers on Monday before kind of calming down in the second half. Let me run through some of his play type data and let's, you know, play type data is sort of, you know, un- incomplete and a little bit unreliable. But here we go. Per NBA.com, as a pick and roll ball handler, 0.55 points per possession. As an isolation scorer, 0.70 points per possession. Uh, he's in the 19th percentile there, far lower in the pick and roll ball handler. Uh, in transition, 1.39 points per possession. That's great. Post up, 0.72. Spot up, 1.06. That checks out. He's good at spot ups. 0.77 points per possession in handoffs. Off screen, 0.92. And his free throw date rate is down to a career low of uh, one point, or sorry, 0.151 free throws per field goal attempt. Uh Weird numbers suggesting that OG is not doing a whole lot of things terribly well in his new role, yet the scoring is up. Anecdotally, it feels like he's becoming a more refined player here. It's still obviously got a lot of work uh, to be done here, and it's not going to be finished by the end of this season or next or anything like that. It's a long sort of burn here, but there's a lot of excitement about OG coming into the season, Joe. I just read off those numbers to you. Based on what you've seen, based on the numbers and what they're telling us, are, are you at all changing your outlook on what you thought OG could be at the start of the season versus now that we're 15 games in? I think it was pretty much exactly what I expected. Like, yeah, I, I and I think the focus should be on, like, for the for the entire team. Like, obviously, you know, as a fan, and I'm sure the organization too, they want to win games. Like, you mm-hmm. don't want to just lose. Like, and and I think the team has shown that it has a lot of promise and is capable of winning games against good teams. So I don't think mm-hmm. you should just throw any and all expectations out the window. But at the same time, I think what we're seeing and what ought to have been the expectation coming in was like, this is all going to take a lot of time. Mm-hmm. And... I, I'm not of the mind that OG is ever going to be a number one. Like that's sure. uh, that's never really been my expectation. But I was also very much of the mind that if ever there was a time to find out if he can be that or just what he can be mm-hmm. as, you know, a, a ball in hand self-creator or creator for others, a, a playmaker, like somebody who is... Um, able to generate his own offense, able to create advantages for his teammates. Like this was going to be the season to find that out. And yeah, like the, the results in that sense have been poor so far, but I think it's more about kind of taking the small victories Mm -hmm. and, you know, like the end of that Sixers game, right? Like the two possessions in a row where he's able to, I can't remember what happened in the first one. If it was just like a straight, 
pick and roll drive against drop. I think you got Drummond on a switch both times, if I'm not mistaken. The second time for sure. Like that's the one that stands out where he gets Drummond and it wasn't like, like he, he pulled the ball out Mm -hmm. with, with, with the intention of attacking that switch. And he did so got a step on Drummond, drew help, made a great kick out to the corner and Fred hit like the game icing three, basically like that's, that's the stuff that you can look at and think, Mm -hmm. okay, like there is something here to build on. And yeah, like you obviously want him to be able to do more as a pick and roll ball handler. You know, for me, I think you mentioned the stuff off of handoffs and off of screens. Like I just think that's never, I mean, at least from everything we've seen so far, like that, that just isn't OG's game. He's not a movement shooter. Mm -hmm. He is unfortunately like, he's just a little bit too stiff. Like it, he needs to set his feet, get squared up to the basket. He's not the kind of player who is going to be able be able to like stop on a dime, like turn his body toward the basket in midair and get squared enough for him to knock down shots. Like we've never mm-hmm. seen him do that before. There's There's been no indication to this point that he's going to be an effective movement shooter. So, you know, again, maybe don't toss that out the window entirely, but also don't expect that that's going to be something that he's good at right this second. Mm-hmm. Um, I do think, yeah, as far as the free throw rate, you would like to see a little bit more foul drawing craft from him. I think, you know, he's made a point, I guess, of of saying that it's a refereeing issue. I don't know that I necessarily agree with that. I think, Mm -hmm. like, he needs a little bit more change of pace in his game, like I don't think he does that good a job of getting defenders off of ba- off balance and mm-hmm. kind of using their momentum against them. Like I, I think he, like I don't know that his balance is yet good enough. I think it's improved a lot, but I don't know that his balance is yet good enough for him to be kind of putting defenders in those binds where they're mm-hmm. off balance and they have no choice but to hack him. Like that's that's a craft that takes a lot of refinement. Um, being a pick and roll ball handler. Like I think it's always this team makes it really tough. And that's where you sort of get into, get into context. And like, it becomes, I guess, a little bit harder to take too much away because you know, who, who's playing the other end of those pick and rolls, right? Like the Raptors don't really have any dynamic role, man. They just don't. And ideally for OG, like if he's running a pick and roll, what you want, is you want him running it with like a small screener, like an OG Fred pick and roll where Fred is popping and mm-hmm. the defense has to decide, okay, are you going to try and hedge and recover and maybe leave Fred open on the pop? Are you going to switch it and maybe allow OG a big, small mismatch that he has shown the ability to take advantage of? You want that or you want him running like a three, five pick and roll where the guy who's forced to make that decision is like a slower footed big man. Sure. That is either going to drop back and then OG has potentially got the mid range game open to him, or he's able to so- sort of use that space and drive at a backpedaling big man and score over him. Or, you know, same situation that big is forced to either play higher up and maybe OG can turn the corner. Um, but in either case, it's like he's taking advantage of a mismatch. But unfortunately, like they're just, there, there isn't like a five man on this team that is a threat as a roller Mm -hmm. right now. Um, And I don't think 
I mean, off the top of my head, I can't remember too many times that we've seen OG run a pick and roll with like Fred as the screener. Um, yeah. But yeah, I just think that's like given the Raptors ros- roster construction, that's just um, going to be a little bit difficult. And so I feel like what we've wound up seeing is just, it is just like a ton of ISO from him. Yeah. And the shot diet has been very difficult, like a lot of difficult shots. And on the mm-hmm. one hand, I think, okay, it's nice to see that he's been able to knock down some of those difficult shots. Like you want him to be able to hit shots like that. Just It is really fun possessions. watching him get into his bag. <laughs> yeah, and like, you know, look, it's it's been a lot of step backs and I guess he's hit some of them. But mm-hmm. at the end of the day, it's also, I, I was looking yesterday and I think, I think on two pointers outside the restricted area, he's shooting 29% this season. Yeah. So that's like if you are going to be, you know, not even a lead ball handler, but just like a secondary ball handler, uh, you got to be able to take better advantage of that space, I think. And he has been really ineffective from floater range, really ineffective from mid range. It's pretty much like threes and at the rim that he's doing his damage, which is fine, like mm-hmm. um, for what he is now. But again, it's like if you're hoping or expecting that he's going to grow into something resembling a primary creator, he needs to be able to do more in that in-between space. And I just, you know, for now, I don't think he has the craft to yeah. do that. But but like everything with this team, it's a work in progress. So I, I wouldn't say that I've seen anything this season that, like, makes me feel worried about OG. Like, this is his first year doing any of this stuff really at high volume. And mm-hmm. I think we definitely need to be patient and expect that there are going to be bumps in the road. Yeah. And I would expect like now that Pascal Siakam is back, like I would expect that things are going to get a little bit easier for him. He's not being asked to create everything. He's not being thrown the ball in crunch time and saying, Hey, go to work OG, which is just not you know, outside of a couple instances like that Sixers game. It just hasn't really produced great results. And, you know, it's kind of, it was a bit of an ass backwards sort of development curve to be, for him to be put on in that first 10 games without Siakam. It's like, hey, you've spent your entire career as this supremely low usage, very efficient catch and shoot guy who dunks sometimes. And now you're being asked to like kind of skip a step. And I think now that Siakam's back, he can kind of go back into that more secondary role where I do think there's a lot that that can be kind of. Uh, sort of worked on here and maybe improved in terms of the different play types and whatnot. Like I think, you know, as a second side guy, you know, attacking off of uh, a swing from Pascal, like there's a lot that can, he's just powerful, man. It's hard for people to stay in front of him once he does get ahead of steam going. And I think that should really help him out. And, you know, there's going to be more cutting opportunities and things like that. I think we saw some really promising signs from the small ball starting five in that game against the the Blazers. And honestly, like the thing about the first half where OG went off for 22 is none of it outside of like one or two of those turnarounds was really self-created. It was all just kind of within the flow. And I think we could see more of him kind of being the benefactor of the extra attention that Siakam draws and and that sort of, you know, that just having more good players on the floor, as it turns out, will be a little bit easier for him. And I think we can kind of see that sort of more traditional leveling up as opposed to kind of skipping that in-between step, which he really was asked to do early on. And it probably wasn't entirely fair. And that's why you saw three of 17 games and four of 18 games that still have his true shooting and all of that uh, kind of recovering (laughs) from those original performances. Um, 
Joe, I want to continue on here. I, I want to talk a little bit more uh, about just sort of the, the general theory of this team, the starting five question, which has become one of the great debates of Raptors Internet this year. Uh, and I want to look ahead to the Jazz game, which I think is a really interesting matchup for this team as well. We will get to that in one second here, Joe. But first, I want to tell you about our friends over at Built Bar, who are making the best tasting protein bars money can buy. And if you are one of our American friends, or if you're a Canadian friend who happens to celebrate American Thanksgiving just because it's fun and uh, kind of in a better position to celebrate and you know you get a Thursday off and all of that, uh, Built Bar is for you. It is the perfect time for Built Bars. Look, a lot of the stuff you eat around the holidays not so good for you, and uh, you can kind of replace some things with Built Bar and still feel very good about it and still get a tasty treat. Instead of having a 300-calorie piece of pie, why not have a 130-calorie uh, uh, Built Bar with just four grams of sugar and plenty of protein? You can replace that coconut cream pie with a coconut Built Bar oh, or go for a raspberry Built Bar to replace that raspberry pie. I love pie very, very much, but also Built Bar is a pretty damn good replacement. Low-calorie, low-carb, low-fat, high-protein covered in 100% real chocolate. Built is great as an option for when you're hungry. And if you're running around doing some shopping ahead of the holidays, you can always bring yourself a Built Bar in your bag as well so you can snack and be satisfied and get that nice, tasty, healthy, good-for-you Built Bar deep inside your guts. Uh, that was a weird phrasing, but it's where it's going to go. I don't know what else to say. Uh, you also get new surprises all month long at Built.com, so check in regularly for their delicious limited-time flavors. Hop in there. they got lots of stuff that will pop up from time to time, including things like uh, coconut brownie chunk, which is one of the best flavors I've ever had. It's so delightful and it's there all the time. And there's nothing like a Built Bar Black Friday. Mark your calendar. Black Friday will be a huge event with all sorts of surprises. So go to built.com, use the promo code LOCKED15 to get 15% off your order. That is the promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off at built.com. And today's show is brought to you by our friends over at betonline.ag, who are back and better than ever with a new web interface for the start of the basketball season with more props, odds, and lines than ever before. BetOnline remains your number one spot for all the basketball and football action this season. Head to our new updated website and sign up today to receive a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit, meaning you put in $100, you get $150 in your account to play with. That's a great deal from basketball, football, baseball futures. You want to bet on the Blue Jays winning the World Series after signing Jose Barrios? Go ahead and do it. You can do it at BetOnline. Same with the NHL, boxing, UFC, right to your favorite Vegas casino games. Don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers available for the 2021 season bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your favorite sports bet online is where the game starts all right we will round things out here with joe uh and i want to ask you about again the great question of raptors internet of our time who should the starting five be for nick nurse we saw once again, they go small against the Blazers. I think the Jazz game on Friday will be kind of an inter Thursday will be kind of an interesting test case for this. If they're just going to roll small all the time or mix and match, depending on the matchup with Rudy Gobert out there, where are you at with this, Joe? I, I think people from this, who listen to this podcast know I'm firmly on the play the five best players. I'm cool with it. I think that it can work as an offensive lineup. I think the defense will come along in time. I think Scotty Barnes has shown a lot of things in terms of like center type skills that have been pretty promising. Um, but there is the, the faction of the folks who want Ken Birch to start as well, which creates the conundrum of who goes to the bench. Joe Wolfond, who do you think should start for the Toronto Raptors? I, I really just think that it should be matchup specific. Like, right. Maybe that's a cop-out answer, but I think there that's are going to, there are <laughs> going to be matchups where you're really going to want to have 
I, I mean, I don't know. It, like, is Precious Achua a center? I'm not even like, I don't know what Precious Achua is right now. But he's in the Delano he's, Banton bucket of I don't know what this guy is, but I think I like it sometimes. <laughs> it's just fu- like it's funny to say like play big versus play small because Achua and Birch are like the same size as Barnes and Siakam, basically, or at least the yeah. same height. Like, I think obviously, Kem. Yeah is like the most solid dude. Like he is the one Mm -hmm. who has the heft to really play center or like be considered a traditional center. Whereas like, you know, precious precious is like Siakam sized, you know, he's, Mm -hmm. he's a center. I feel like because he doesn't have the ball skill to be anything else right now. Um, But in terms of his size profile, I don't know if that's what he is, but yeah, point being, I think there are going to be some matchups where you want, to have Ken Birch starting. I actually think the Jazz matchup is a really interesting test case for, you know, maybe that's a situation. The Jazz have kind of struggled against switching defenses in the past. I think that's mm-hmm. that's not quite the pressure point it was in the past for them because Donovan Mitchell, to me, has become a much better switch buster. And, you know... If you look at like what happened to the Raptors in that Blazers game, it was breakdowns triggered by allowing dribble penetration over and over and over again. Like yeah. Siakam couldn't stay in front of Portland's guards. Scotty Barnes could not stay in front of Portland's guards. So I'm saying like, okay, you know, maybe you try and go small against Utah, switch everything, get them out of their their pick and roll offense that gets teams in rotation because what like. You send two to the ball against Utah, that's like exactly what they want. You know, they're yeah. going to whip the ball around and they're going to find open catch and shoot threes. So I feel like doing that would be playing into their hands. You know, playing drop isn't all that much more appetizing because of the level of pull up shooting they have, especially with Mitchell. Mm-hmm. And it's also like, you know, the Raptors are obviously, if they're playing maybe a more traditional drop coverage, they're still going to send that weak side defender pinching toward the middle, especially because mm-hmm. of Gobert's roll gravity. And man, are the Jazz good at picking out those skip passes <laughs> to the corner when defenses do that. So it's a little bit damned if you do, damned if you don't. Because the you know the switching, given what happened in that Portland game, would, would give me a lot of pause as well mm-hmm. because I, I don't know that you necessarily want to be in a situation where Mitchell is dancing with, with Scotty Barnes on the perimeter. Like that just hasn't worked out all that well for the Raptors the past few games. So yeah, I'm honestly, I'm a bit stumped, I guess I, I, in a game like that, I think I would probably just roll with, with Birch as the starting five. Obviously the, the difficult decision becomes then, you know, who goes to the bench. Unfortunately, like I think Scotty has been really good, but I do think it makes the most sense for him to be the guy who does that because I, I you can't take really, Trent shooting out like you just can't. <laughs> I, yeah, I agree. Yeah. And, you know, ultimately, as great as Scotty has been, you, I just have way more trust in Siakam and OG at this point in time, like, yeah, especially as you I mean, should. <laughs> it's not that like, against Scotty to say that it's he's, he's 20. <laughs> Right. And that again comes down to like expectations, right. And tempering Mm -hmm. expectations. And the fact is rookies are almost uniformly bad. Like the fact that Scotty to this point has been basically a a plus player as a rookie Mm -hmm. is a real rarity. And how much of that is sustainable? I'm not sure. I mean, I think that that last game was probably his 
the, the game against Boston was also pretty bad, but like yeah. the game against Portland was up there among his worst games as a pro so far. He really looked like a rookie um, with some of the mental mistakes that he was making at both ends of the floor. And I do think, you know, if we're talking specifically about the Utah game like that, that is a team that can really take advantage of like off ball inattention. Yeah. And, and so I think maybe for that matchup, I would try roll with Birch at the five and move Scotty to the bench and just see how that looks. And maybe you still wind up closing with your best five. Um, yeah. But as a starting look, I feel like that's the way that I would go. But, but to answer the question generally, I think the Raptors ought to be taking it matchup by matchup. And I don't sure. think there needs to be a set starting five. Nurse has never really had a set starting five. Like he's never been opposed to tailoring his lineups to certain opponents and mixing and matching mm-hmm. and, and tweaking the starting lineup as the season goes along. So I don't see why we need to land on this ironclad starting five that doesn't change from one game to the next. I, I don't think that's going to be the case. I think the thing I would like about just like a set starting five, it would it would allow Nurse to find a real rotation where like I just feel like it would make it easier for him to settle on like nine guys that he plays a reasonable amount of minutes as opposed to just sort of feeling like he's got a mix and match with his starters and you know eventually they all play 40 minutes like maybe maybe that's just me like being simple brained and thinking hey you start with five guys and you know what you're like thinking like Dwayne Casey frankly like Casey would start with the same lineup and then have the exact same rotations throughout the game and everyone would play the same amount of minutes every night and maybe that's just kind of like a a a balm I think the Raptors kind of need right now but that could be thinking about it too simplistically I, I do love this jazz matchup I mean this is going back to the original conversation we were having about how this team's interesting. I feel like every matchup is cool as hell when the Raptors play because they're so bizarre. And yes, they might be outgunned in certain areas, but also they can kind of take it to other teams as well. Like I thought they did a really good job in that Blazers game as much as they were rough on the defensive end and not containing the, the dribble penetration of their guards. I thought they were really good at hunting those mismatches against those guards and then taking it to them and scoring over them. And I think there's a little bit that you can do of that with this uh, jazz team as well. Like Pascal is like universally destroyed the jazz in his career. I think it's like four or five games in a row now where it's like, Oh, this is what the best of Pascal looks like. And they've all come against the jazz. And I think OG kind of is in a similar place where he might be able to kind of take it to a, a Bogdanovich or an O'Neal just because he's so much bigger and stronger. As much, I know O'Neal is strong and he's stout and all of that, but OG's got like four inches on him. And I think that is a, a matchup that he can kind of exploit there too. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think you're right in that it's a tricky balance to find what, to what they do defensively with the Jazz. And I think I would opt for whatever has them scrambling around the least because mm-hmm. – yeah, as much as it might suck if, you know, you get Barnes on a switch with Mitchell and Mitchell can blow by him because Barnes seems to love to play guards right up in their teeth and just give them the alley to go by them. Uh, I think I would rather that than you can kind of collapse and help that way and get your arms kind of in your, your th- throwing your mitts in there as they're driving. Maybe that's the way to do it as opposed to the sort of hyper aggressive send two to Mitchell at the top, because I think that's going to end in, 
basically what it ended like in the Blazers game last night where they started doubling Dame and all of a sudden there's just like a rain of Nasir little threes falling down on you from the corners and all of that. So, I mean, the Jazz are good. It's going to be a difficult matchup. I think it's fascinating like every other Raptors matchup because of how weird the Raptors are. Um, But Joe, I've taken far too much of your time. I really appreciate you hanging around, man. It's always a great time to chat with you and pick your brain because you're very, very smart and excellent at what you do. Where can people check out all of your awesome work? Uh, check me out at the score. All my work is there um, on the website, on the mobile app. However, you like to read your basketball coverage. Find me there. Find me on Twitter at Joey underscore W and uh, find me in your iTunes app or on Spotify or Stitcher, SoundCloud, however you listen to podcasts. Uh I have uh, I have a pod called Pound the Rock, an NBA pod, uh, a general NBA pod with Joseph Cacharo that we put out every week. So you can find me there if you want to hear, you know, more of my takes applied to the general NBA landscape. It's really my favorite general NBA podcast. You guys are amazing. My two favorite Joes and or Josephs uh, is just the best. So go listen to Pound the Rock and go read of all Joe's awesome work. If you have not yet, go read the piece that Joe wrote over the weekend where he talked to the Raptors and dug into how they're gaming the possession battle every single night. Uh, it's really great stuff. So Joe, thanks so much for popping by, man. Always good to have you on. We will talk to you soon. Listener, thank you so much for being here. And uh, as always, thank you for making us your first listen of the day. Now go make your second listen of the day. Locked on Fantasy Basketball as Josh Lloyd is covering you with everything you need to know about fantasy hoops and helping you win your leagues. He's awesome. If I played fantasy basketball, Josh Lloyd would be the guy that I go to in the moments where I have played. I have asked him advice plenty of times, and he's never led me astray. You can, of course, uh, subscribe to, rate, review, follow the podcast free on all platforms, and subscribe on YouTube. It's much appreciated. And we'll be back again tomorrow as Dwayne Notice and Kelsey O'Brien from the new West Side Stories podcast are going to drop by to talk a little Raptors 905 as we uh, prepare for the Raptors and the Jazz on Friday. Your own Weitzman's going to st- stop by. We're going to talk to him about uh, Ra- Nick Nurse squatting and as well as team building and all that fun stuff. It's going to be a great time. And I uh, appreciate you, as always, for tuning in. We'll talk to you again on Thursday with another episode of Locked on Raptors. Bye-bye. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. And it works everywhere I write. Summarizing a doc only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done.